Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I am Tracy Hotchner, your dog's best friend and your kitty cat's best friend, bringing you authors and experts every week to enhance your appreciation of the pets who share your lives. If you would like to hear episodes of this show you may have missed, please go to RadioPetLady.com and visit the podcast library. You can also listen to all the Pet Talk radio shows I co-host with pet experts, including Cat Chat, The Pet Cancer Vet, Good Dogs, The Expert Vet, Exotic Pets, Holistic Vets, Pet Food Advisors, Humane Talk, and Authors on Animals. Dog Talk is a production of Eight Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content, and is brought to you with the generous support of Nordic Naturals Omega-3 Fish Oils, Precious Cat Litter, and Waruva, a privately owned pet food company named after the owner's rescued cats, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Their brands are Waruva, Cats in the Kitchen in Pouches, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend brand, created for finicky felines and fussy little dogs. All their cans and pouches are made in a human food facility, which means that every ingredient is good enough for people to eat, if your kitty will share. I have a wonderful bunch of guests today. I have Lissa Warren, whose book, The Good Luck Cat, doesn't even begin to explain this amazing kitty and the extraordinary human life that, that she came into and, and the things that they were able to do for her. Then I have Leo Grillo from the Delta Sanctuary in California, where he's taken in all these dogs that were left in the hills and made a permanent life for them. It's kind of amazing. He, he gives tours if you want to go. And Linda Morris, my own vet, who feels bad for me that I have to give so many pills to Jazzy and to Maisie and talks about the burden on owners of having to medicate their pets every day. I'm looking forward to saying hi to Lissa right now. Lissa, I am so amazed. First of all, that you had time to write a book because you're like this head top person at a wonderful publishing company and leave aside all the other things in your life. I mean, Lions Press is, is like a really big job and you still wrote this delicious book and you teach and you have your own MFA from Bennington in writing. I mean, you're like this multi-doing lady, aren't you? I kind of am. I don't sleep much. I don't know um, what my life would be like if I didn't have all this wonderful work that I enjoy. So uh, I'm grateful for it, but also grateful just to have a nice quiet home life with a cat I adore to keep me company while I'm writing and reading and doing all the things I do. Well, you certainly bring to life this incredible story of this Corat kitty. Now, you're the first person I've ever met who had a Corat, spelled K-O-R-A-T. And I'm remembering, but I didn't even check, so you'll tell me, remembering from when I wrote the Cat Bible, the Corat is a Turkish cat that likes to swim, that likes water, or is that just the Turkish van? Or does the Corat like water, too? A Korat is from Thailand, and oh, Thailand. if King, my cat, is any indication, they do not like water. Okay, um, so I did make the mistake one time of trying to take a shower with her, which sounds crazy, except nope, she had jumped the in the toilet, and I was trying to clean her off so That's that she wouldn't funny. lick herself and get sick. Um, but boy, she used my head as a springboard to get the heck out of Dodge, so she did not like water. She's a very tough little kitty, and... Half of the book, The Good Luck Cat, is an is a amazing story of your beloved father. What a, a great relationship you and he had. And his medical journey, but it was preceded by Ting being this kitty who came into his life and your mom's life and in your life, who was just like the coolest cat. And then your dad died, I guess we should say unnecessarily, medical error, right? 
Yeah, we think they just missed the signs that he was headed for a massive coronary. He died in the hospital of one. Um, we had gotten Ting because he had had a quadruple bypass a few years prior, and not all of the grafts had taken. Um, so he was a bit low in energy, was able to get around, but you know lived a fairly sedate, sedentary life and needed a, a cat who could, at the same time, amuse him and just be calm and still and quiet with him and keep him company. And that's what Ting or Karat was to him um, and was to the whole family, really. And did, did you, was this something specific to the breed of them being super mellow or she was just an example of that kind of kitty that knows how to be a couch kitty when needed? She was an example of a cat who knows how to very quickly figure out what the people in her life need from her. She's a very intuitive, very intelligent cat, and it's a very loyal breed that has a tendency to choose and kind of claim one family member. And my mother was still working full-time. I was still working full-time. My dad had to retire because of his health. So he kind of became her primary caregiver. Um, and in many ways, she became his primary caregiver, too. She gave him the comfort and companionship that he so sorely needed. And when you lost him, she was very much still looking for him. And that was very interesting to me in the book and the way you depicted it, because some of us wonder what kind of grief our pets feel when they lose a significant human. And you were pretty clear that she kept looking for him. Yeah, she came to the top of the stairs where she would always come to greet him when my mom and I came home from the hospital the morning that we lost him. And um, I will never forget her looking, seeing that he wasn't there, and then just turning around um, and walking up the stairs. And um, she would roam from room to room for many, many weeks just looking for him, sometimes meowing for him a bit. Um, she just didn't seem quite right. And it is hard to say exactly, you know, what cats feel and what cats think and how they grieve. But I do know that they absolutely notice absence of someone they love. And um, she started sleeping a lot more, too, which I, I know is, you know, a sign of human depression. Yes. Um, and and we certainly felt like she cats, was going into a bit of that, too. And in cats is a sign of it as well. You know, I think sure. that those of us that have lived closely with dogs or cats are completely convinced, and we know it's not us projecting anything on the pets, that they have deep emotional lives and bonds and people they like better than others, other pets they like better than others. There's no doubt about it. And it's so curious, I guess, to those of us who live deeply connected to a pet to hear about, you know, the dog Nishan study. Brian Hare, 60 Minutes recently, did a whole piece on the gentleman who's been studying the brains of dogs in an MRI machine to notice that they actually have a different part of their brain that lights up when the smell of a human they know and love is introduced to them. It's like, it's so weird, isn't it? Because we, of course, like, well, of course, but it's, it's interesting that in order to have the, the, the depth of perception and emotion of these animals validated, sometimes we need, some people need the science to prove that really Ting was a service cat. She was she was no different than a PTSD mm -hmm. dog can be for someone. She was there for your dad when he really needed that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is odd how we need science to validate things that many of us absolutely know. Um, but there are those skeptics out there. And, um, you know, in that case, I'm thrilled that there is science now to, to back up how very real those bonds can be. And, there, and therefore, the, the lengths to which we'll go to make those animals comfortable or safe or healthy, which is really the next amazing part of your book, is that Ting 
developed a heart problem and you chose to go the full distance and put a human pacemaker in her at Angel Memorial, which is an amazing hospital. Nick Trout and some of the other doctors have been on the show. Nick is, is a writer, as I'm sure you know, being in the publishing world. It's an extraordinary place. And your vet sent you there after Ting had her fainting spells. It's the only place where they'll put a human pacemaker in a cat. Is that right? There are a few others, but boy, there aren't many, and we are so fortunate that we just happen to live in the Boston area where Angel Animal Medical Center is. Our family vet told us that she had second-degree AV block, which is a situation where the electrical impulses aren't getting from one chamber of your heart to the other, and consequently, Ting was having fainting spells. And our vet told us that the only thing that would save her would be if she were to get a pacemaker. But of course, they don't make pacemakers for cats. So we went to Angel. They said that she was a very good candidate for a human pacemaker. And long story short, after several months of monitoring, her wearing a, a heart monitor so that we could know how to pace her properly during the surgery, right. the surgeon could know how to pace her properly, they performed the surgery. She made it through. It was very touch and go for a while. Um, and then she had a long recovery ahead of her. Um, and we nursed her back to health. My mom especially, she didn't leave the bedroom for many weeks because she was taking care of the cat the entire time, hand feeding her, force feeding her, doing whatever we had to do to make sure that she made it through. Your description of what the kitty went through, even when wearing that device that was supposed to show them how her heart was malfunctioning when it malfunctioned and how long she had to wear it and the way it was wrapped on her with the pet wrap and the sores that it made and her frustration with it. It, it does sort of bring us up short to say, how far will we go and is it worth it to the animal? And that's, mm -hmm. you know, one of those philosophical questions that I think what you answer in your book, and it's true for so many of us, that what we can do to save our pet or to comfort our pet or to cure our pet is often a way of acting out things that haven't worked out that well for us in the human sphere. And you couldn't save your dad and you lost him and the loss was really profound. And this was his kitty. And I do think that it, much as the subtitle of the book, I do think that giving Ting this chance at an extended life, even though it cost her a bunch of discomfort and you a lot of worry, it did it, it did function as part of your healing process, you and your mother. It absolutely did that for us. And um, we did, of course, ask ourselves and ask each other, my mom and I, again and again, you know, are we doing the right thing? Is it right to put her through this? Um, we certainly would not have done so if we hadn't been assured by the cardiologist that the surgery you know, could be done successfully and that she could lead a long, happy, full life after the surgery, after recovery from it. And it has been now six years since she had that pacemaker implanted. And she is a happy cat for a 19-year-old kitten. She is a healthy, healthy girl. Well, the thing um, that, we that really... we are so glad that we, we did the surgery. And I'm glad you did too, because I think it's an interesting point that people have to wrestle with. I mean, the cat suffered a lot. She suffered... Yeah. Even on the first vet visit, when you got into the cage with her, because a lady had gotten into a cage with her chihuahua and said, you can do this. And we, I think any of us have seen our pet in a cage at a vet hospital, especially a big, busy place. And sadly, at Angel, they had no special facility for cats, which I just think is full on cruel because dogs don't care who's next to them. They just want to go home. But yeah. if cats are surrounded by dogs, it's hell on earth. 
and you got in there with her, and then she had to wear the, the contraption, and then she had to have the surgery, and then there was the recovery where she wouldn't eat and wouldn't groom herself, and, you know, that was, it's, it feels in the book like it was a long time, but in the big picture, she came out the other side, and she was like, oh, well, because that's how animals are, and some people, mm-hmm. too. It's like, well, how about you, Lissa, who finds out after all this that you had MS. I mean, was there yeah. just like something else that, you know, the the biblical storm of things was going to happen to you? It was a surprise to get the MS diagnosis. Um, and of course, one never wants to receive a diagnosis like that. But it has helped me to understand my father and his relationship with Ting so much better. She is such a comfort to me on days when I'm not feeling well, on times when I have the, the flares that you get with relapsing remitting MS, which is the kind that I have, which is thankfully the good kind, um, as crazy as it sounds to say that. And I see now um, what he meant to her and what she meant to him and the bond that they formed because of his illness. Um, and I count myself so lucky to have her to be with me on those times when I too just need a quiet, constant presence. Does it feel to you almost as if it's an extension of your dad because you had such a beautiful relationship with him? And at one point in the book, you say that the world is just a lesser place without him in it and period full stop. That's just the kind of relationship you had. And she is an extension of him, and she carries on a legacy, as, as you also point out in the book. And this is true of so many people with cats and not so much with dogs because they're so much shorter lived, that she lived through decades of your life. You're still a young woman, but she, she managed to bridge many of the, the big moments, the big transitions, the big events in your life, and continues to do that. And I think that the fact that you gave her that surgery at 14 There would certainly be people who would say, oh, my God, that cat's already so old. But cats live to 20 all day long, you know, if they're they're fed properly and, you know, were lucky in in the first place. And I think that she clearly is a touchstone for you to the whole arc of your own life and and connects you to time when your dad was alive and when you didn't have MS, right? I mean, she brings the good times to mind. You would feel more dead if we didn't have her in our lives. Um, I don't know any other way to put it. I mean, she is just a constant reminder of his love because um, he taught me how to take care of an animal. He taught me how to, you know, love an animal and put an animal first and and care for one. And um, as long as she is alive and that sweet side of me is able to come out, that's the side of me that my father loved so much and, you know, instilled in me and, and, he raised me with animals as part of our family. And so as long as I have her, it's like I still have him. And I think that that is really beautiful and a great message that comes from reading The Good Luck Cat is that with all the bad luck, losing your dad unnecessarily at a fairly young age, and then the kitty needing this $10,000 procedure that I wish you'd had pet insurance. I'm so sick of telling people they should have pet insurance because not too many listen, but those of you listening, please get pet insurance because something like this would have been covered. Well, maybe not, actually. Maybe it's so extraordinary it wouldn't have been. But you chose to do that. You chose to make that investment in her in her life, in her future. And then your MS that somehow she really d- did bring out and brings out to those of us reading it a, a recognition, appreciation, and a respect for what our animals bring us every day, whether we're well or ill or alive or dead. They really are an amazing source of love and energy and peace and tranquility. It doesn't, you don't get it in any other form. No, I don't think you do. And, you know, I, I am an only child. 
Um, so at a very young age, I was taught that if you have a cat or you have a dog, they are, you know, I'm not going to say a sibling per se, but they are a full-fledged family member. I mean, yes. the night that I lost my dad, um, I remember going home and, and thinking to myself, my God, I just lost half my family because it was always just him and me and mom. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, I have Ting. So it wasn't quite as awful. And then, of course, she, she walked away. It's like she saw he wasn't there. She knew My mom and I, you know, a bit of money, and that's what we used to afford the pacemaker surgery. And you're right. I do recommend pet insurance to anyone who can possibly get it because, um, boy, you don't want to know that there is something that can be done for your animal and not be able to afford it. And pet insurance is one way to guard against that for sure. Because if you look at a situation like yours, you were also emotionally distraught. You were just, you know, emptied out. And this kitty meant the world to you. What if you couldn't have afforded it? It would have been like a double blow. It would have been so deeply hurtful. Anyone can write to me at radiopetlady at gmail.com. I'll give you my suggestions of which companies are doing a good job and which are doing not a great job. But the nice thing is that your dad left you that money and you knew what she meant to him and vice versa. And look what she's meant to you and what she's given you and your mom and how she's helped you process the loss and process the grief and yet make him less dead by having her stay with you. I think that it, the the book you've written is a tribute to a really loving family, and there were really four of you in the family, and it's wonderful that three of you are still here and can be there for each other. It's a beautiful book, Lissa, and I, I just can't recommend it enough to people. I think it really brings us up short to realize the things that, that are of value in our lives. And uh, and your your good cheer and courage in dealing with what you've dealt with and how you deal with the MS on an ongoing basis is is wonderful for anyone that that has these sorts of challenges. So there's many reasons why the Good Luck Cat is a wonderful book, and I wish you great success with it. Being a guru of book selling and book promotion, nobody has a better advocate than you. So I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you have that, and and I'm sure you'll do a wonderful job with it. Thank you so much, Lissa. Give, a, give a, a snuggle to Ting for all of us listening because she really is a very special kitty. I promise I will. Thanks for having me on and thank you for all pleasure. you do to bring attention to these important parts of our families. A great pleasure and, and come back anytime with any other stories or, or uh, other books that you might even be publishing that are about pets because, you know, they'll be received here with loving arms. Thank you so much. You too. Have a good rest of the day. I'll be right back after this quick word with Leo Grillo and the Delta Sanctuary. This show is supported by Vectra and Vectra 3D, the safe and effective parasite treatments you put on your pet's skin every month to create an invisible shield that repels and kills parasites on contact. Parasites that are a health hazard to all members of your family. Vectra is the anti-flea topical treatment that kills all three life cycles of the flea. Vectra 3D is the anti-tick protection. Only for dogs, not intended for cats, but after the two-hour drying period, they can be around a dog who's been treated. Vectra is waterproof and safe for dogs, cats, and for the people in your family, too, with protection proven to last a full 30 days. Support for this show also comes from Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality pure omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils, which our bodies cannot produce but need on a daily basis. Omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, are natural anti-inflammatories used by the body for skin, bone, and joint health 
and for brain function. Nordic Naturals uses responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and uses third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness to provide their oils to people and their pets for optimal health on a cellular level. I am back with Leo Grillo, who created the Delta Sanctuary in Acton, California, 35 years ago. He has 115 acres on a mountaintop in which there are 1,500 dogs and cats, 500 of them are cats, and a few other various and sundry four-leggeds, all of which were abandoned somewhere, mostly in the hills, Leo will explain, and they have a life there forever. Leo, you're kind of amazing. You have the biggest sanctuary basically in the world, and you started with just a few dogs you found wandering about? Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, It's the largest of its kind in the world, that's for sure. Uh, We've done some amazing things over the years. This was not the plan. Exactly. That's what I love about it. It was like, okay, a couple of dogs. I find them loose in the hills. Let, Let me take care of them, right? Well, you, you're pretty close. I mean, I, I, this was 1979. I was a young guy. Of course, I'm only. I started this when I was five. So, of course, we're all of us still only yeah. barely 20. Yeah, my God. Anyway, you look in the mirror, and something's wrong with the mirrors. I'm I not, hate maybe these that, mirrors. Something's wrong. Anyway, uh, no, I, I was an actor, and and uh, among other things, you know, I had this thing about a dog I was going to get, and I got him, and all the rest. But but I, I was taking my my dog Delta. I was taking him out because. I had no place to put them. I had three cats in the apartment. In fact, I had three black cats, and the landlady thought I had one black cat because you could only well, have one. That's very cat. funny. Yeah, and she said, "She said, you know, you have the most amazing cat. I've never appreciated it before." I said, "Why?" She goes, "I swear you. Depending on the day and the time of day, the eyes keep changing color." I love it. That's very funny. That's a great way to go around landlord laws. Yeah, yeah, that was good. But anyway, so that's I had great. this Adobe. The Doberman lab named Delta, and I had a I had to find places to keep him, and, and uh, you know he's my my son. Sure. So I, I and I spent all day with him, and half the half the evening, and uh, then I would go home for the you know for the cats at night. So taking Delta out for walks, and taking him out to the forest, and taking him out with you know like a forty foot lead on him, and uh, getting him out. One day, uh, I saw uh, two puppies. It was a place where they used to have trout. They would stock trout out in the middle of the forest and uh, uh there was a guy selling bait and he had an old chevy with the trunk open so I, I i saw two puppies you know under his wagon so i came over and i and i said hey you know those puppies how long have you had them to know oh, about a, you know a, a few minutes it really so two kids just came and dumped them off and i you know i never heard of such things you're kidding me so i put some food out i had i carried food for delta i put some food and they came out and they chopped and, and I says, who would do this? He says, oh, they do this all the time. See all these dogs running around? He says, that's what people do. They drive out here and they dump off their dogs. Oh, my God. And I go, yeah, exactly. So I put out the food that I had and the dogs started coming. And I, oh, my God. So I, I got back to the car. I drove uh, back into civilization. And they had a Target back then. And I bought uh, four of the big, giant 50-pound bags of dog food. because that's all I could fit in my trunk. And I drove out. And I, I slashed them with a knife, and I poured them in a great big line, and I poured another one. I poured four lines of, of dog food. These dogs came out from everywhere. They jumped down. They laid down in the food. It was like like a like it was you know choreographed. The oh my goodness! There. Yeah, and they and they put their elbows out to protect their space. You know their place. Yes. And they yes. ate. They ate, and while they're eating and munching and chopping, they would look up at me, and you can see the the thanks in their eyes. Yes. You know and Oh, man, talk about that was it. And, and now what? 
you know, so and I meanwhile, started, you're like a young guy with a dog you can't yeah. keep in your apartment. You're not like some trust fund baby who goes, I think I'll build a sanctuary. No, 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 no. In fact, I'm an actor who's who's skipping auditions. And I, and I got my, my agent dropped me because of his take shoes. Well, it's raining. It's September. It's pouring. It's distemper time in Parvo, which. Oh, I, my goodness. Yeah, I knew nothing about it at the beginning, but what do you can't leave these dogs? So every day, twice a day out there with the food and the meds and the food and the whole thing. And. Uh, it, it took about a year. Uh, you know, I put a leash on one when he got familiar with me and stuff. It took about a year uh, to get most of them out. And the last three, I remember I had um, a chain link fenced area that, that they kept lifeguard supplies in. And I, I somehow managed to get them in there, locked them in, and then I, I grabbed them from there. But, you know, it, it turned out there were over 60 dogs. There were 35 that first day, but people kept dumping and there were over 60 when I got them out. Nobody would take them. They would take them if they would kill them, you know, and there was even one lady. People should be aware of this. There was a lady back then who was advertising in the papers. If you didn't want your pet, she would find him a home. And she was a crook. She would take your dog and a healthy donation that you would give out of guilt. She would go around the corner and have the vet put the dog to sleep that same day. And she had six figure bank accounts all over the state. We put an investigator on her eventually. And, and Bunko, you know, had a, had a piece of her. So, I mean, there's, there's these fake groups. I mean, the one thing people want to do is, is give you their problem and pay you money, you know. Yeah. So, but no, and she said, well, if you bring them to me, I'll take care of it from there. I said, well, what are you going to do? She said, well, that's my business. Once I get them, that's my, my you know, I'll take care of it. I said, well, well, no, I want to be sure that they, you know, I didn't know anything. I, I, thought, sure you were, I thought you were going to say they got sold to those Class B. No, uh, no, 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 no. Those things A lot them. of people were selling dogs for medical research, yeah. too. Well, back when I, when I, when I was saying, um, I started uh, looking around and talking to the rescue groups. There were only like two or three at the time that I remember. And uh, one, and they, they used a particular kennel out in the valley, Chatsworth. It was a shoestring kennel in Chatsworth. So I went out, talked to the guy, got a deal. And during that first year, I mean, I learned a lot. During that first year uh, is when the big, the big deal went out there. People were coming up in vans from Orange County stealing dogs from people's yards. Wow. And it was a, a restaurant business that they were they were uh, supporting. It was, you know, in a foreign culture, this is what they do. It's like going into their country and they have pet chickens, you know. So they were they were stealing dogs and using them in in uh, in restaurants for wow. food. Wow! So it was. And this is in California. Time. I mean, the New York Times has oh yeah major articles yeah. about China and Thailand and Vietnam, and this was right in California. Well, of course, people immigrate or emigrate, and uh, yeah. they yeah. want to keep up their yeah. culture. Well, let me just say that having gone online and looked at what you've created, I'm completely, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how you began it, but you've created this enormous, very, very luxurious in a sense, but being California, you don't need a lot of protection from the weather, a series of hundreds of big yards or kennels or runs right. with houses and put dogs together who like each other and you even conduct tours people come and tour it it's just well, those are, i'm sorry yeah those are those are member tours now what, what happened from this you know i started in a, in a kennel like everybody else with a rescue kennel and then from there um I, I ended up at some point i had parvo and i had some litters at home with me in glendale and i had 29 dogs in my backyard eventually from in glendale I uh, got in trouble with the city. Yeah, yeah, they were they were after me. So, but for six months they were good. The, the city attorney said, "Look, I, I'm not going to put you in jail. They'll, they'll crucify me." You know, 
But find the place, please find them. It's well, an old rundown kennel in El Monte opened up in 1983. And I knew when I took that step, I said, you know, I'm going to raise the money. I'm going to do this. But, you know, once I take that step and, and, and get this kennel, my life is going to change forever. You know, what am I going to do? Should I do it? Well, I had 150 dogs out there by then, you know, running around the woods. And I said, well, what's the best thing for the animals? And that, I'm going to tell you, that is the only thing, even to this day, I've made the decision even the other day again, the best thing for the animals is what I do. It costs you emotionally, it costs you your career, it costs you marriages, it costs you a lot. Uh, but, you know, you look down, I just now before I ran out of time here, I was, uh, I'm glad you called when you did because I almost missed you. Uh, here I am, I, my, my uh, feral kittens that I brought in yesterday and I'm putting medications in their eyes and, I'm, you know, holding them and getting pictures of them and trying to tame them down a little bit more so that they'll be friendly, you know, and one of them actually purred. It's a big moment. And, you know, you know it's, thir- it's 35 years of all of this pain comes down to saving this one last little kitten yes. is worth it. Well, you know, you this, know? Leo, the extraordinary part of it is that someone can imagine goodness and then make it happen because you raised this money in an era where it's so easy to forget. There was no internet. There was no social media. This was no, brown. But, uh, this was like uh, boots on the ground. Hold your hat out. Hold your hand out. Ask a friend. Maybe make a phone call. I mean, to have cre- to have raised the money to create this extraordinary sanctuary, and then to have realized it, and then understand, as you pointed out, that every day, many hours a day, you and other people need to be there to clean up, to medicate, to feed, to look after the needs of, to water, to. I mean. It's just an enormous enterprise. It's like, it's giant. It's so many animals and you know each of them and you know each of their yeah. needs and you know which ones get along with each other. Before you tell more about the story, which is so amazing, I, there's one thing that, that strikes me and I'm sure I can't be the only one. I, I wasn't aware that there was any place that people were dumping animals, not one or two, much less dozens and hundreds. But if they're puppies or kittens and I understand the concept of a sanctuary is there is no adoption going on. There is no rehoming going on. Why not with the youngsters? Do you simply not feel that you can take the time and the energy to make sure these are proper homes? Because wouldn't those, not the older dogs maybe that have been abandoned and had a crappy time with their people and they've been fending for themselves and it's harder to place an older dog, but wouldn't you like for the sake of the dogs and the cats that the youngsters maybe have a forever home, as they're always called. Well, I'm going to I'm going to give you some shocking facts, and you'll understand why. Uh, first of all, about six months ago, it occurred to me that I've been, you know, uh, giving the tagline of this organization incorrectly. I said, you know, we rescue animals who are abandoned in the wilderness, and then I said, no, that's not entirely true. We rescue animals who are abandoned or born in the wilderness. Ah. So many many of our litters are semi-feral. Now, fer- there's no real feral. Feral is out in Montana. You, they run like wolf packs, feral dogs. Right, right. Feral, these are one or two generations or three or four or five generations, same with cats, uh, of born uh, in the wilderness, born wild, but they're domesticated animals. I mean, they're, they're not, they're not, they cannot live on their own. They have to be fed. They have to be cared for. Right. So, uh, but here's the, here's the thing. For years... And nobody had done this back when I started. 
Uh, I couldn't find a book on, in the library. I couldn't find anything on how do you adopt a dog to a new home. This was kind of a new thing to do. And the pounds that's that's true. Bit. People yeah. forget that these ideas didn't exist not so many years ago. 35 years well, is thank, a long thank time. You. Yeah, because you know, I'm, I'm glad because they, they don't understand this now because it's all been, you know, it's, it's routine. But I wrote a book on adoptions. I made a movie with celebrities on, on how to adopt a pet to a loving new home. It was called Safe House. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, o- over the years, I, you know, I, I knew how to adopt. I was the one that the rescue organizations, the two or three that were doing it at the time, they would call me to retrieve animals that one of their volunteers had incorrectly adopted to the wrong home, to a place that would not take care of them. Right. Uh, and, and I said, you know, I better do something. I better standardize this. So I, I created all of this. And, and people today, there's a book out there called, Is, uh, Is This the Place? And that's my, my, I've seen it where dogs are out there wandering and looking for a new home. They're looking for a place that'll take care of them. And every place they stop, is this the place? Is this the place? You know, that kind of thing. Then they come to us, you know, I, I mean, I get them and then, yeah, this is the place. Yeah, this is well, the place. In the, in, yeah, in, in that book, which, which is still out there, we gave it away. I made 1.2 million copies and we gave it away for free. Wow. Well, it's it's still there, and half the book is all about how to adopt. And I I read reviews where rescue people are still using that. There's a guideline in there for how to put numbers on emotions and how to find out who's telling the truth, and it's all in there. But here's the thing: now you can imagine. I mean, I, I know adoptions. I wrote the book, you know, and then after about 15 years, I found out that it, adoptions do not work for us. I'm going to explain for us. I had a, I commissioned a survey of the pet industry, the animal industry. I had to know certain things back then. And the most shocking statistic that came out of the whole thing, and this is 20 some odd years ago before the recession and the housing flip and the whole deal, people in America only keep their pets two and a half years. That's the national average. Now, you and I keep them for life. Other people keep them for a few weeks. The national average was two and a half years, less after the, you know, the, 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 the market right. fell. Right, right. So two and a half years ago, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My animals have already been dealt the dirtiest blow of all. They've been tossed around, tossed around, ultimately tossed away and thrown away in the desert or thrown away in the, in the mountains, and picnic areas, campgrounds, wherever there are other people, you know, you can drive up and open the car door, let your dog go play and then drive off. That's where they did it. And, and cats at the ocean and cats here. Because, you know, so you go, wait a minute, two and a half years, I go through this. And when I rescue one of these animals, who, and sometimes it takes a couple of years to rescue them. And that's, if you go on the website, there's a movie called The Rescuer. That's a documentary of, of these dogs that took two years to rescue this mother and father dog. So every day of, of putting them in the schedule and getting out there and trying to, trying to save them. So when you go through all of this, what, I'm going to adopt them for two and a half years and then their life is over? And I found that to be true. I found that my own, and I'm the best adopter at the time, my own family that I adopted to were about the national average. You know, I was, for wacky reasons, I would get these incredible things that, uh, anyway, I, I said no. There was one dog in particular. They killed my dog. They, they, they said, oh, the vet said she was developing kidney problems, developing kidney problems. We started wow. at UCLA, up at UC Davis 25 years ago. We started a kidney dialysis program. There was none. Now it's worldwide. I know a lot about kidneys. She was developing kidney problems. Some local vet in a shopping mall said, and so they killed her. And I said, that's it. I will never adopt another one of my animals as long as I live. So here, here's, here's the, the math. Number one, 
they're killing about 2 million animals a year in the pounds. If you want to adopt an animal, go to the pound. They're killing 95% of them. At the pound, if you take a dog who's got two and a half minutes or two and a half hours or two and a half days and you get him a home, whether you go down yourself and get him for yourself or whether you're a bunch of people who are trying to help and you rescue him and find him a new home, you gave him two and a half more years on average. He had two and a half minutes. Right. You gave him two and a half years. Mine, it, uh, they've already been dealt the blow. Right. And I swear to them. I swear to them that I'm going to take care of them. Nothing will ever happen to you again. You're safe. The only way I can guarantee that is if I myself am the shepherd. If I'm looking after them, believe me, there's 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 no end to which I will go to to protect them. Well, it's it's so. incredibly moving, and and your answer makes perfect sense to me. We've run out of time, but really what you're saying is, is this the place? Yes, the Delta Sanctuary is the place. It's the place for those dogs and your bond with them, and your word is your bond. Uh, tell us quickly how people can see any of these movies. Is it to go to Delta Sanctuary? No, 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 no. Go, no. Delta Rescue, actually. Delta, Delta Rescue. Rescue. Yeah, if they go at DeltaRescue.org, it's all there. DeltaRescue.org has, uh, we have videos. Uh, if you want to build straw bale dog houses, we invented that Manika Gandhi wrote a letter. She was using them in India. How uh, cool are you? You know, it's yeah. really amazing. You were you were at the forefront of so many of these topics and aspects, and here you are oh. with this amazing, amazing forever home for dogs and cats. Leo, you've done an amazing thing with your life. I know you already know that. But it's very exciting to be able to tell my audience about it and to let people go to DeltaRescue.org and look at some of these books and look at some of these movies and appreciate what someone can do who wants to go the very last mile, which you have. And I wish you many, many years of health and um, longevity because those, there's a lot of animals depending on you. Thank you Thank so you. much Thank for you being so with us. And, and we send you lots of hugs and kisses and maybe a few bucks. And, and once you're a Thank supporter, you. you can come visit. So Acting California, everyone should put it on their wish list. Thank you so much, Leo. Thank Have a great you. rest Thanks of the day. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. This show is supported by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who has created many different low-dust litters for the health of all members of the family, for the special needs of every cat from kittens to old kitties, and long-haired and those with out-of-litter box problems who can get back in the box with Catattract Litter. Precious Cat's new litter, Touch of the Outdoors, is made with field grasses grown in their own fields, bringing the natural scent of the outdoors to provide environmental enrichment for indoor cats. This show is also brought to you by Vivimune Chews, a natural supplement using Oxy-C Beta, a new active ingredient based on oxidized beta-carotene found in foods like red and orange vegetables. Vivimune is a chewable that has been scientifically proven to support immune function in dogs and cats with the main benefits to joints, skin, and digestion, usually seen within a month. Modern life creates many stressors on a pet's immune system, which is further challenged as they age, and Vivimune can help pets lead the healthiest possible life. I am back with Dr. Linda Morris from West Mountain Animal Hospital, who happens to be, great pleasure to me, my vet, the vet of all of my four-leggeds. And she was so kind to take time out from caring for all the needs of the Vermont pets that flock to West Mountain Animal Hospital to talk about something which had actually never occurred to me. Dr. Linda, I'm so glad you're here on the show. It's such a treat to talk to you on the air, although more of a treat to talk to you in person when we're covered in dog hair and dog slobber. <laughs> well, thank you. It's very 
very nice pleasure for me too. Well, one of the you said something recently that I thought, wow, I have never considered that. I have old Jazzy who's on all kinds of medications, which I squish into the ball of Actify, which I use as my pill hider. And she's just taken medication for so long, I didn't stop to think if that had any kind of effect on me. And now young Maisie has developed these severe allergies. We did the spot platinum allergy test, and it showed her somewhat allergic to all kinds of outdoor things. But talk a little bit about, for example, for one thing, you know, what about so many dogs, people that have dogs with allergies, not food allergies, but allergies that are environmental, and the fact that you kind of have to manage that with oral meds for the period of time that whatever it is that's in the environment affects them. Well, it's totally true. And if people sometimes look at their dog and think about themselves, it, it makes a, a lot more sense. But one of the things with, with dogs that have um, seasonal allergies, you can pretty much bet that every year when that particular season rolls around that they're going to have some degree of um skin issues, whether that, that their skin turns pink or they're itchy or whatever kind of combination of that. And once you know that that happens, um, sometimes being a little bit more proactive can help them have a, a better, more mild allergy season. And, and in fact, every allergy season is going to be a little bit different because it does depend on um, what the weather was and how much this particular um, weed bloomed and what the pollen count is on how badly your animal reacts. And yet, and yet there's two things here. One is that and I'm a person who developed seasonal allergies for every season. Lucky me. So if it wasn't the dust that was blowing outside with the wind, it was the dust inside that even with the best vacuuming and dusting is always around. So I'm constantly allergic to everything, I guess you could say, in my nose and my throat and my eyes. Mm -hmm. So I've learned, and this is something people I don't think understand about their dogs, that you don't treat the symptoms when they happen. You treat the dog or the human all the time to suppress the, those symptoms. So can you talk about histamines and antihistamines and why Miss Maisie is now on three Benadryl three times a day plus a very small amount of prednisone when she breaks out in hives in addition to that? Sure. Um, if you start, if you wait until there is a problem, it takes so much more medication to get it back to normal. And that's true with allergies and, and it's also true with, with pain too. But when you right. have a dog that's being, is already ragingly allergic my gosh, you're going to have to go to the steroid route and everything to try to get that down to a manageable level. But if you already know, like, okay, here we go, it's late fall, and you start using um, a combination of antihistamines, often you can keep those signs um, and the dog's discomfort down to a minimum. But dogs and antihistamines are, are kind of interesting because as a species, they don't respond to um, antihistamines the same way that we do. In fact, there's some dogs that don't respond to antihistamines at all. Not only that, but often when we tell people what their dog's dose of Benadryl is, they, they just look at us like, like we got to be kidding. You made a mistake. What do you mean three times exactly. more than a human takes? Well, actually, in this case, it's nine times more or something. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there's people that if they took three Benadryl, you know, they would be out cold. Yes. But 
You know, some dogs, they uh, basically, they wind up taking a, a milligram per pound every 8 to 12 hours. And um, for some dogs, I mean, it's great. It's an easy, easy readily available, generally well-tolerated antihistamine that some dogs do great on. But then there's others that Benadryl doesn't work for. So we use When we say doesn't others. work, is there a chance that it doesn't work on Maisie? Or if she's not scratching and itching a whole lot, it is working. How do we know if it's not working? Or how do we know if it is working? Based on what she's doing. So, um, and, and the thing is, is that when you have an allergic dog, sometimes people feel like you're better off to let them itch just a little bit so that when they are stop itching, oh, interesting. itching at all, you can say, hmm, okay, maybe I see. they don't need it anymore. And so you can cut back. And then um, if they, you cut back and they start itching wildly again, you're like, oh, okay, I'm not ready to stop doing that. So you do kind of do this waxing and waning of medication so you know if you need to be treating them or not. But in general, when you're going to try an antihistamine on a dog, you want to use that for a full week before you decide whether or not it's actually working. And say, for example, you had put Maisie on Benadryl, and you're like, wow, she is just as bad with or without it after giving it to her for a week. I see zero change. Well, then you want to try a different antihistamine. And if you try three antihistamines and none of them touch the dog's itching, either you have a different problem right. or they simply don't respond to antihistamines. So um, Then at that point, you might have to be that person who goes and has a serum made based on what they're allergic to, like I do as a human, and get the weekly injections. Well, and a lot of times it has to do with, um, you know, with serum, with seasonal allergies, you know, most of the time those can be managed medically quite successfully. It's when their, their allergy season is no longer just three months out of the year, it's starting to be six, eight, or year-round, like dogs that are allergic to house dust mites. Yes. Yeah, you could be the best cleaner in the world and you're still going to have house dust mites. Those dogs immunotherapy um, certainly starts to look much, much more appealing. And is it something quite manageable? I mean, the company that makes Spot Platinum, they yeah. also make the serum. It's custom-made, like theoretically the one is custom-made for me by, by my human allergist. And then it's shipped to, I'm asking this, is it shipped to the veterinarian and then you or your vet techs teach the owner how to give those injections or is a person so squeamish they would come in and the vet tech would give the injections? Um, both. You know, most people, the, the initial thought of, like, you want me to do what? Yes. Uh, you know, their their eyes kind of dilate. But, <laughs> they pants you know, and drool. Yeah, and, and plus it depends on the dog. I mean, there's some dogs that just don't even blink when yes. you give them an injection. And others, you know, you dab them with a cotton ball and, and yes. they're, oh, you know. I mean, every species has its dramatic members. <laughs> but, you know, most of the time people manage um, to, to do it. And the first couple of times, you know, you do want to be careful because it's just like a human that takes um, allergy shots. You know, you, you're giving them what it is that they're allergic to. 
and you yes. can have a, an adverse reaction. They can become, you know, horribly itchy or, you know, really break out in the hive. Or, or but, even, uh, I guess, have some kind of a throat, tongue, mouth swelling, you know, oh, a breathing yeah. problem. I know that I've been having allergy shots myself for 15 years, and I'm one of those people who periodically thinks, okay, I take two different antihistamines, because as you said, histamines, antihistamines work differently in dogs than humans, mm -hmm. but there are both for dogs and humans, ones that work in different areas of the reactivity in the body. And I'm thinking, well, I still have the drippy nose and the clear my throat and the itchy eyes. So maybe it's not working. And then I'm too afraid to stop because how much worse would it be without it? But they do say you must wait 20 minutes in the office. Well, I mean, anyone who knows me from this show knows I don't wait 20 minutes anywhere for anything. So don't let the doctors be hearing that. I like, I wait three minutes because I do think that and I'm not that far from the hospital, that you can have a bad reaction at any time. So the first shot should be given in the vet's office and you hang about for a bit to make sure the dog doesn't have any bigger reactivity within the next 10, 15 minutes, right? Yes, and, and the thing is, is that the initial injections have a lot less of the um, allergen in them. So Right, so it builds up kind of. Yeah, you build up. And then ultimately, some of these dogs just need one injection every 14 to 21 days. Ooh. But the thing is, is that most um, most of the people that make these um, allergy injections for animals will tell you that you need to use it faithfully for a full year before you could even say whether or not it's working well for your pet. So you have to be right? willing to make that commitment of time and money. You do. You do. And it's not inexpensive, that's for that's sure. That's right. But then again, having a dog itching and scratching, I've never had one this itchy, scratchy. I mean, it's really a lot. And she and and I'm grateful that you pointed out to me she has to have these three Benadryl every eight hours because she's still itchy, scratchy after running around, whether it's the woods and the leaves mm -hmm. or the, the hills and the forests with more grassy or more damp. And I do understand that if you get to the point where the dog is itching and scratching so much that they actually break their skin. Now you have hot spots, you have antibiotics and topicals, and it definitely gets worse. But you brought something up to me, which really was the part that I was saying in the beginning, took me by surprise, that there's stress for the human who has to keep medicating their dog. And okay. that was a really interesting idea. And to all of you that have dogs you're managing with, well, diabetes is pretty rare in dogs, but maybe kidney stuff or maybe joint stuff like so many of my dogs have had or, or any kind of a chronic illness or condition that requires constant input from you of something somewhere in or on their body. Talk about that, Linda, because it's something I hadn't thought of. And it would be nice to finally get one dog that you just feed them and go. Yeah, would that be, like, awesome? Yeah, be sensational. What I find is that I run into, because um, occasionally I'll have people call me and they're they're struggling with getting medications into their dog. Um, either the dog is just, you know, they're so doggone smart. They know darn well when you're trying to, you know, oh, yes. look at this delicious treat. You know, <laughs> they know that you're trying to pull a fast yes. one and, and hide something in there. And so... 
If if the dog chooses that day, it's like, no, I, I do not want that pill covered in cream cheese anymore, and they refuse it, and now you can't get the medication into them, and then you're feeling bad because, yes. oh, my gosh, you're not treating them, and they're, and they're, they're going to be worse, and, and it really is extremely stressful, and they're like, okay, now I know I'm just going to have to cram it down his throat. Well, you know, nobody really likes to do that That's to right. dog. In fact, when I had to try to do that to Scooby-Doo, he was beyond smart. He was suspicious. And, you know, everyone said, oh, you do the peanut butter. He would find a way in his front teeth to touch through the peanut butter. Is there anything in there resembling a pill? And then he would gag and choke and spit it out like Snoopy. So you could forget the piece of bread, the piece of cheese, the piece of the, the, the pill pocket made of something I'd rather not give him. But he was like. I don't want any of it. Mm -hmm. And it became extremely stressful because he also would clamp his jaw shut when you tried to do the shove down the throat, spit up all this saliva like, you know, you poisoned him with arsenic. It was horrible for both of us. I mean, we're both sweating afterwards. It's very unpleasant, you know, and then you're like, but guy, you can't walk without this. You're such a cripple, you know. Do you ever use compounding pharmacies? There's a place in New York City called Best Pet Rx. Pretty amazing. And they will and they will keep guaranteed no extra charge. They will keep compounding whatever it is, either paste, a liquid or a tablet into a flavor that that individual dog or cat will eat. They've got every flavor you can imagine from the flavor centers of the universe. And if your dog and cat is even harder, as we know, won't eat it in that form, they'll keep reformulating it till you find a way that it will like it. Now, there's 5 million pet owners in New York City in the five boroughs, so that keeps them pretty busy. And a lot of the oncologists use them because the really sick dogs have to have their chemo and their anti-nausea meds and stuff. But in places like Vermont, where we live, are we familiar with the fact that there's compounders just for pet meds? Um, we are. And in fact, it's, it, it is kind of interesting. I mean, that company sounds like they, they really are going above and beyond, you know, trying to make sure that we find some easy yes. avenue. And Delicious, avenues. delicious chicken Medication. liver, beef, you name it. But it is kind of disappointing. I mean, I have from other um, places ordered um, flavored things, and uh, sometimes the animals just like look at it like this is completely revolting. <laughs> you, may, you may think that this is supposed to be extra super delicious. You go ahead and eat flavored. it, lady, if you think right. it's so great. Yeah, the, the guarantee is is important because if you already have the suspicious animal who did get a taste of whatever the medication was on their tongue, the other thing is they have some way of neutralizing some of those bitter or harsher whatever metallic flavors that come in in some pills so i mean that's that's certainly an avenue that it it isn't cheap but it's not hideously expensive because in the end you're able to give the dog or the cat some comfort or relief but what do we do for ourselves when we feel like we're kind of you know florence and nightingale all the time well you know i think that that one of the biggest steps is is simply recognizing it and and understanding yes. that you know it's it's nobody likes to feel that way but it doesn't make you a bad person or a bad pet owner that you're feeling frustrated but you know it's also important sometimes to all right talk to your veterinarian and say hey i'm really struggling with this yes. because there are other things to use you know you can like all right maybe this is what i really really like to use but you know what we got plan b so you need to just stay open to it because 
What you don't want to do, you don't want to wind up with the treatment being worse than the disease. Yes. You don't want to feel like your dog looks at you like, oh, geez, here she comes again. Yep. And, oh, and, and then, you know, you get done medicating your dog and they then they don't want to come near you for the next half hour. Yep. And, you know, that's not that's not fun for anybody. So I think it's it's just saying like, all right, I need to do this, but I need to find another way to do it. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, cats are notoriously difficult to pill. And there's oh. that, uh, that pill that I like the least. Is it Clavamox, the one that has to be in, like, you have to have, like, surgical scissors to cut open each tablet. It's got to stay out of the light. It's like, oh, my God, you need a team of people to get the pill out. And then I discovered, by doing just what you said, going to you and saying, this is a nightmare. I can't get this pill down. You're like, well, for $100, I can give a shot of the antibiotic. I'm not sure it was Clavamox, but it was something. You can give an injection. Yeah. Yeah. That lasts the whole time. Like, wait, how come no one told me this? And a lot of people, maybe the vet doesn't want to, you know, shock somebody with a with a with the bill. But if you have pet insurance, for one thing, if it's something that's not a pre-existing condition, something that has happened since you signed up for pet insurance, everything's covered. If you've gotten a good company and you've paid your yearly deductible, they pay seventy, eighty, ninety percent of the bill. But even if they didn't, wouldn't you rather pay a hundred bucks once than have pills and liquid all over the kitchen? And all over your clothes and the miserable animal. I mean, okay. that's what you mean, I guess, by other options. Well, exactly. For, for antibiotics, I mean, that's Convenia is one of the um, rarer antibiotics that does yes. that duration of effectiveness. And honestly, it was like the best thing ever for cats. Yes. But, uh, and, but we have run into some dogs that, you know, the antibiotic upsets their stomach. Right. Can't get it into them. And if it happens to be an appropriate spectrum of antibiotics, I, yeah, there, sometimes you spend a little extra money on that. You're not coming back for a recheck. You don't have to, you know, be like, oh, um, you know, we have to, try a different antibiotic because I spent all my money on this one and it's, you know. And never really got into the dog in the first place. (laughs) Or you skip, or you skip, you wind up skipping, Mm -hmm. you know, treatments and then the thing isn't effective because you, antibiotics have to keep up a certain level in the bloodstream, which we obviously know from humans. You skip a dose and it's sort of like the birth control pill. You really can't skip a dose because you wind up, you know, the problem is definitely not under control. Dr. Linda, I really, I really love what a, a caring and a thoughtful vet you are, not just on behalf of my dogs, but on behalf of me as well. I know you face a lot of uh, challenges with your aging guy and how to get him up the stairs and how to get him comfortable to go outside. And I think it gives all of us a little stomach ache to worry about how are they really and are we doing all we can for them? And then you give them something and they're resented and it didn't really help maybe. So I just think it's you're right. It's important to say this is a challenge. It's making me love my dog a little less or hate my cat a little more. And then you feel guilty for even acknowledging it, but sometimes acknowledging it is the path to finding a quicker, better, more more happy solution for both sides of the of the pill bottle. So thank you so much for that, and thanks for for coming on and, and giving people a little insight into the ways that we need to manage these situations. I hope we I hope we don't see you soon. I guess everyone says that about their vet unless they all go to the same bar. Hope I don't see you soon. <laughs> Take care. Have a great day. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for listening as always. Happy New Year, I might add, around the corner. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Bye for now.